Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast, where we explore popular practice songs and ideas in the light of sola scriptura and toto scriptura, I guess I should say ideas and such in the modern church world in the light of sola scriptura and toto scriptura. I'm going off script. I didn't type anything up. I did exactly no preparation for this, so you are welcome. I'm Cody Fields, the president of Westminster Effects. You can buy stuff at westminstereffects.com. Not joining me is the right reverend MVP of the National Preaching League, Bradley Cox, nor is Augsburgian Christian and occasional sexy boat captain John Ross joining us. Uh, But in my home office in our house, I have my wife, one Mrs. Kristen Fields, with me. Hi, wife. Hi, everyone. You're not you're not terrified at all, are you? I'm not at all. Yeah, John, this is all your fault. This is what happens when you have to go to Home Depot instead of recording the podcast and such. But we had a question in the Inquisition this week from Austin Dobbs that wife, I believe you would be good to uh, to chime in on this. He says, "How do you overcome option paralysis in regards to gear and tone, mixing, recording, etc.? Do you just Pick something and go with it, and how do you achieve a state of rest? Now, when you play guitar, which which is how we got together, mm-hmm. we'll have a podcast about that one day, <laughs> but, but when you play guitar, you don't have option paralysis in the slightest. That is correct. Uh, for me personally, once I find a tone, like once I find a tone, a uh, gear that I like, I'm I'm pretty much going to roll with it. If I really like something, I stick with it. I'm not the type of person that just needs all these options and I need to pick and my mind is just racing of what's next and what's the greatest and what's, you know, what's, what's next on the horizon for all these new companies. I just, I just want to plug and chug pretty much when I, when I play. And we say chug because we, we play metal. We play metal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, so you don't have that mentality in regards to gear, necessarily but you are a very detail-oriented person whereas sure. and, mm-hmm. and we've talked about this a million times not on the podcast but between the two of us is i'm more of a big picture guy mm-hmm. and you get hung up sometimes on the tiniest little details yes <laughs> <laughs> and and that's not to rip on you in front of my podcast audience but like that's just our mentalities is mm-hmm. i see the big picture most of the time and you see you see the trees instead of the forest. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you do sometimes want to know the tiniest details when you're mixing at church. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, as opposed to when you play bass. <laughs> yeah. We play, we play a P bass when we play at church, mm-hmm. and that has one pickup and a volume and a tone knob, and we just max those out. Right. Right. So, and then, like, we've both led discussions in our small group, and you delve more into the commentaries than i do yes that's true Um, so Mm -hmm. so how how does your brain work in the first place with all of that (laughs) it's a mess (laughs) um well i know that but they don't know that with with just the so many details type thing yeah 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 um well 
So I guess- what is, what's your thought process when you have a ton of options and a ton of different directions that you can go? I usually am the type of person then that that wants to try and know everything, which doesn't always go well. Right. So if there's a ton of options, I'm going to dig into every single option that I can with and spend as much time as I can into it because I want to be as knowledgeable as I can to help other people when when I'm doing something like teaching or whatever it is. Right. Um, in life, you know. Um, why are you shrugging at me? I don't know. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know where the question's going, though. Uh, see, even that, like, I'm, I'm unprepared even for this podcast, and and uh, Cody was, and this is, like, another super detail-oriented person type of thing, where he was, like, 20 minutes ago, I'm just sitting down, I, I took the day off work, and he's like, hey, do you want to be on this podcast about, like, detail-oriented things? And I'm like, how am I going to prepare for it? You know, what am I going to say? What am I going to think of? Because I just want to think of, like, all, like, an infinite amount of options and have them all figured out and have everything lined up completely depending on which way it can go and that's can be for conversations or in study or in everything apparently but when I play guitar right so one of the one of the things that we've talked about maybe not using this specific language within this podcast is is not just this episode but others is actually on the Lord's Day in corporate worship, finding rest in that, mm-hmm. right? Uh, like, I, I'm just over the whole performing same, on Sunday morning. Same, same. And and so, what I what I don't want to do is go in and just mail it in when I'm playing guitar, right? right? I don't right. want to. I don't want to slack off. I want to do it well, but I also don't want to kill myself because that's not what it's about. We're not putting on a show. Mm-hmm. Um, so, can that? Can your detail-orientedness lead to kind of a performance mentality sometimes, or you you think you have to get everything perfect? Oh, yeah, certainly. Certainly sometimes. Um, And I've always kind of felt, as a musician, kind of at kind of like the lower rung of musicians and people. I haven't been playing as long as a lot of other people. Um, I started off playing guitar when I was 16. And at that point, there's a lot of other people already playing an instrument by then. And some of them are classically trained and, you know, they've been playing since they were five years old and they're really, really good. And I'm like, well, I can play this power chord thing, you know? And (laughs) so I've always, I've always felt, you know, behind the curve. So being both a detail oriented person and then someone that wants to do a really good job at what I do, um, I'm sure that I could get stuck in the weeds mm-hmm. with some stuff when I'm trying to learn something and be like, well, I have to get this perfect. I got to, you know, out, you know, I got to practice more than everybody. And I got to really have this down because there's so many people that are just better musicians than I am. And I'm always feeling like I'm trying to, you know, work up to that level. Um, and then for bass for me, I've only been playing that for a couple of years Mm -hmm. and I'm not a bassist, but that's what I'm playing in church because it's, it's easier for me and with time and it's what the church also needed. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. So even with bass, you're taking like, you'll print out, (laughs) you'll print out (laughs) the chord sheet. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Boomer. You'll print out the chord sheet and you'll have handwritten notes on the chord sheet. Yeah, and I'm trying to get better at that, but that's also the detailed... And we also even have a drummer like that. 
where we play a song mm-hmm. one time and he, he must have a similar mind to me where he wants to have the notes. He wants to know where he comes in. He wants to know if something's changed. He, he wants to be fully prepared and I'm the same way. I don't want to be caught off guard with any surprises that can happen musically. I'm, right. Mm-hmm. But, but you're playing bass. <laughs> <laughs> I, I told you I haven't been playing long. Doesn't mean I'm a good bassist. <laughs> haven't well, I, dropped the pick yet either. So. I mean, I, I, yeah, yeah. And I, I also play with a pick too. And well, I mean, I treat bass like we've talked about this on the on the podcast. I treat bass like half a week off. <laughs> um, but so how do you how do you move past that? Getting hung up on those details. Uh, particularly when you're preparing before rehearsals, right? It's it's usually yeah. the, the several days leading up where you'll go through a song or two per day, mm-hmm. hammer those out, whatever. But then it's but then you actually get to rehearsal or you get to Sunday morning. How mm-hmm. do you move past I have to know absolutely everything to just going with it and going for it? I mean same i guess same with anything else is i try to prepare as best as i can and then if something happens you you really do have to just roll with it sometimes because things do happen in music someone messes up um something changes and if it's if it's a church service you don't know what's going to happen sometimes where they're like oh we'll play that course again and our church doesn't do that as much anymore but you just need to be kind of kind of ready um but practicing helps me the most and having a good feel for what I'm doing and also playing bass versus playing guitar. I'm sure on a Sunday is something that personally helps me. Yep. I I would agree. I would agree because the, the several times that you have played guitar, you basically had an aneurysm. Uh, <laughs> well, because it would, it would, and I'm also like we said, I don't, I don't get stuck on the option paralysis thing. Like I don't explore a lot of different sounds. Um, I like to stick to a few things that I know. So even you know my loop switcher, and there's all these different presets and all these different things. And if I see, you that's know, all my doing. <laughs> if I see like a guitar song where where it's you're gonna have to step on this one, and you're going to this one you're gonna have to remember you know this next one Mm -hmm. to me that doesn't come naturally because i just i just play and i usually just play metal so i'm not right i'm i might use a little delay for some stuff um occasionally but that's not i don't explore a lot with what i play with so even just oh i have to on top of already knowing all these guitar parts for a genre i don't normally play or listen to you know outside of us playing church um, very often. And then also I'm going to have to hit all these buttons and, you know, hopefully it doesn't come out as, you know, I turned on my tube screamer instead of a really pretty ambient, you know, delay or something. Right. That, that would be a really big problem. Which we've, we've all done that before. <laughs> I mean, and there's been, and there's been memes and Babylon B articles of, you know, weekend metal guitarist steps on wrong, on wrong effect in the middle of church and melts that kind face of, or and something. Melts faces, yeah. Like yeah. everybody had to pick their faces up off the floor because they were melted off. <laughs> so you can do that with like um, Mighty Fortress is our God and something like that. Just add some, add some you nice. Just, you just did that because John's not here, right? And I thoroughly appreciate it. <laughs> I don't. Know. <laughs> That's his favorite song. It, it's a, it was oh wait, by Luther. well, okay, I get it. On. Do we need? Do we need to all go to counseling those, all, over this? All, all the reformed people's favorite songs. No, no. Or that. That's, that's it. <sighs> You're killing me. I don't know. He's Lutheran. Oh yeah. 
and you a boat and a boat captain and a boat apparently yes. oh well <laughs> well i guess we'll go to the inquisition then you ready sure And this is the Inquisition. That's the section of the episode every week where we take questions from you, the listener, via a weekly uh, post on the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge. And that's part of the opening announcements that I forgot today because I wasn't reading a script. My bad. Brad Speed asks, What message does it send to visitors and congregants when the two parking spots closest to the door of the church are reserved for the senior pastor and his wife. I mean, it really depends. It depends on the people, um, for me personally, because it really depends on the situation because you could, I think some people might take that personally because our culture is also pretty self-obsessed to be honest with you. And they'd be like, why does the pastor, you know, have those by the door? But what if it's just a place of honor for them? What if they're kind of elderly? What if, you know, maybe mm-hmm. it's just the church showing them some love and saying, hey, we respect you guys and what you do. Right. But on the flip side, I could see it as, well, that's special treatment and you really need to put the visitors and people, you know, that are coming in, you know, first and all that kind of thing. And I feel like that's been more of the shift that I've seen with a lot of churches is, hey, let's make the visitors feel the most welcome right. um, above everything else. So it's kind of one of those weird things. I, I don't I don't have any any, you know, distinct... Um, I don't, I don't have like an exact answer to that. It really depends on the church and what they're doing. And, and if it's for a good reason or a bad reason, you know, that's how you work it out from there. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things that you really can't be dogmatic about, Mm -hmm. um, where the, the church where we used to vote, (laughs) which was our voting precinct, Mm -hmm. uh, is a, is a missionary Baptist church and they have and they use the term first lady, they have a parking spot for their pastor and the first lady. Whereas our church does not. And I don't have a problem with that. Right. I don't, I really for don't me, care. Like, I really don't okay. care. Uh, yeah. I mean, most of the time Bradley just pulls his truck right up in front of the old parsonage <laughs> that they use as an office, like mm-hmm. literally onto the grass, yeah. hops the curb and all that good stuff. So mm-hmm. uh, I don't, I don't think you can really make a call one way or the yeah. other. Yeah, that's where I'd land as well. Um, who's next? Let's see. So Clay Toyne asks about Christian liberty and where's the line to be crossed as it pertains to art. Oh dear. Uh, example <laughs> for the photographer: Is it generally accepted that nudity would be something a Christian should not have in their photographs? What about suggestive poses, clothing, locations? How far is too far? Who's the judge of that? What if this person's a church leader? Is the standard different? Uh, for a musician, what about writing and or changing a sexually suggestive lyric verse to a quote-unquote Christian song? I think you could really expand that to secular songs, too. Uh, particularly one that is to be introduced to the congregation to be sung corporately. Ooh, that's kind of weird anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, are there locations a Christian musician or band shouldn't play? I know where I stand, but I would like to hear other views and their considerations. So... Uh, where's the line in, and this isn't, this isn't talking about consuming entertainment and consuming art. Uh, we would, we would both agree, obviously, and we would have to have a chat if, if we disagreed, 
uh, porn is wrong. Yes, that is, that is, that is <laughs> don't, correct. Don't do the porns. Um, <laughs> and so this isn't about consuming things. This is about Christians creating art. Right. So where's the line? Well, first of all, Clay, I I feel we are kindred spirits in the amount of detail of this question, so thank you. <laughs> and also with my detail-oriented mind, I'm happy that you have broken it down a little bit as we go section by section, it seems like, with it. So where where is the line for for just nudity in general in art, for Christians to actually create it, you're saying? Yeah, pretty much. Like, I'm trying to think biblically like immediately biblically where we could go with it. Right. Um, and I'm, I'm racking my brain right now on the spot. Um, There's a couple obviously of... we want to pay honor to God and glorify God and whatever we right. do. Um, as far as actual nudity and art, it really, it, to me, it would also depend on how explicit it is. I don't know if that's an odd, if that's an odd thing to say. Um, you know, you know what I mean by that. So, I'm, I'm picturing. I'm trying not to picture things, but I am picturing things. Um, <laughs> what are you <laughs> well, trying to say right now? No, I'm trying to picture how this could be carried out in a godly way, and what what could also make it ungodly. Right. So, Is this an abstract kind of thing? You know. So there's requirements for modesty. Sure. Obviously, but obviously that's also cultural. Right. Where where there are certain tribes where the women don't wear shirts. Right. And that's we just the thing. We talked about this. We talked last about this night, last night in our small yeah. group recently. Um, yeah. But then there's there's also uh, cultures built around uh, women wearing necklines that are at their collarbone, basically. Sure. I don't know who that is. Shut up, phone. Um, so, but at the same time, during the Renaissance, a lot of times they were trying to capture what God created, right, mm-hmm. in in certain in certain body parts, right, and the, and they would paint nude portraits. And a lot of those, I think, are beautiful paintings. And right. there's nothing to me when I look at a painting like that. I'm not like, oh, that's you know, that's something Scandalous I should not, or, yeah. I should shut my eyes to. You know, it's something. It, it's just like, oh, that's a beautiful thing in its own way, in an artistic way. It's representing a certain time and it's trying to express something like a scene or, you know, something going on where you can appreciate it and you don't even necessarily focus on the nudity in those. It's just, it's almost part of those paintings. It's just, right. in, it's, it's not even a thing you're concentrating on. I'm right. not sure if that's weird to say. I think, I think part of it, I think one of the big questions we have to ask is what is the intent mm-hmm. behind since he mentioned photographs, uh, some kind of artistically done nude photo or painting. Sure. So what's the intent? Is the intent to arouse lust, which is most of what happens on Netflix now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like that's a good chunk of it. Or is there some kind of legitimate and, and I, I'm not an art expert, so I couldn't tell you what it is. Um, is there some legitimate artistic value in that? Mm-hmm. And and so that's where I obviously with scripture with modesty and not uh, bringing about lust and stuff like that. And and it's just a fact that we have an over sexualized culture. Yeah, and who even and and motives as well with who's the art even for? Is right. this something? you just wanted to do for yourself or, or your husband or your wife or something like that. Um, it, it really depends on like the audience you're also tar- targeting for it. I think some motivations with that. Yeah. 
Yeah. Next question. Uh, this is from my mom, actually. So hello, hi, Pam. Hi, Madre. We need we need to get her on the show sometime. Uh, so from one Pam Fields, how do we establish a unity among Christ followers, not just from your personal home church, even if the theology differs some? Christ followers being the main connection. So uh, this is where I think we need to define our terms. Yeah, I need to to break it down a bit. How do we define Christ followers? Because you have people like oneness Pentecostals who are modalists. They deny the Trinity who call Mm -hmm. themselves Christians. You have Mormons who call themselves Christians. You have have, uh, people in the New Apostolic Reformation or Word of Faith who call themselves Christians. And we would we would deny that they are Christians, right? And I think I think from Pam's question, it says even if theology differs some. So I think the assumption is, hey, these are these are Bible believing Christians right. that we differ maybe on secondary, right? You know, type stuff maybe like the yeah. the differences between us being credo Baptists and someone like old Luther and John, who's not here, who is a pedo Baptist, right? And even things on possibly on eschatology, if everything is still within an Orthodox Christian realm, you know, or, or whatever, even, even structures like hierarchy in church and, or ways to serve. How much do you serve? How missional are you? And how, you know, a bunch of things like that. Right. So Mm -hmm. I think, I think, uh, just approaching it on the basis of, of sola scriptura, if mm-hmm. if scripture is your highest authority or not will inform dang near everything else yeah right yeah. if 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 someone is trying to supplement scripture with with an equal authority like we we were talking last night actually about you know how we value creeds and confessions mm-hmm. um and and those are authorities but those authorities are subservient to scripture they only have authority in so much as they're accurate and line up with scripture, but they're helpful right. summaries. So, so it would have to start with: Do you t- actually trust what scripture says? Mm-hmm. And then from there is: Are you saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, or are you helping to get yourself saved? And I think my question too is: Is it's how do we establish a unity among Christian? Um, uh, Christian followers or Christ followers, I'm sorry. Um, I think we'd have to also define unity and what's what's trying to be accomplished. Right. And kind of like what you were saying with that too. Like we need, we obviously are looking at scripture. We have to be in agreement with that. But my main questions too are, what does that mean? Does that mean with with unity? Are you talking more about, hey, do we serve? with another church that believes a little bit differently than us, or are we all just kind of in, in it together over certain issues, regardless over like political issues. Do we band together despite some theology? Like, I wonder what, what, what all is being talked about with establishing a unity. Um, cause I see, I see the word unity, um, like used a lot, especially now it seems like the last couple of years I've seen a really big, how do we become unified as Christians together with other Christians and, stuff like that. And I'm not always sure what to say because I feel like a lot of people have used that word differently. Um, and it really kind of depends what's trying to be accomplished. Cause I know for me personally, I'm not, I'm not going to sock like sacrifice doctrine. Right. Um, I think, I think things. some of the underlying assumption may even be that having denominations in the first place is a bad thing. And I don't believe that. And, and, and you wouldn't either. Right. Mm-hmm. Where, where, 
For example, uh, are you about to baptize a baby? Well, I, I know my mom, and she would not. Mm-hmm. So what do you do with the Presbyterians? Right? Because they believe that they should baptize their covenant children. But are you saying, oh, we can't have unity with them as Christians, or we, sh- or we can in spite of that? Like, cause I would say in spite of that, we could. Right. But there's other, there's other people that, like you said, would call themselves Christians where would I necessarily do mission type work with them? And it really depends. Like that's really depends. a really depends yeah. for me. Or even would I give money to an organization that's theological different, uh, theologically different than me in many ways. I don't know. Like it really depends on what it's about. And there's a lot of things, the detail oriented mind, again, things that I would have to weigh, um, on, yeah. like and a I think, basis. I think some of it comes down to there's different levels of, of unity. There's mm-hmm. there's local church unity, there's denominational right. unity, and then there's ideological unity like you see with stuff like Together for the Gospel, yeah. Acts 29, mm-hmm. the Gospel Coalition. And then you have broad Christian unity where, you know, I'm not going to talk a whole lot of junk about Presbyterians. You know, like I will critique them or Methodists or what have you, uh, though... though each of those I have differences with. Sure, yeah. Um, but at the same time, like like what you said with cooperating missionally, yeah. well, if, if I am one who believes more in slow growth and seeing that as a healthier thing, well, how much do I really want to cooperate with someone who's extremely decisionistic, extremely revivalistic, and, yeah. and it's all about you making a personal decision to, to effectuate your salvation, whereas mm-hmm. the Reformed understanding is entirely different. So, right. so putting on some kind of event with those two groups probably wouldn't work out very well in the first right. place. Right, it, re- it really depends. It really right. depends. Because, because, you know, the, the decisionistic people are going to put on some emotionally wrenching altar call that... I'm going to probably disagree with in the first place. <laughs> yeah, we're probably going to be like cringing in the corner if we're right. part of that and being like, "Oh man, like maybe maybe this shouldn't be going on this way." Right. So, so yeah. I think it depends on what you mean by Christian and what you mean by unity because there's yeah. multiple layers uh, to each of those definitions. Mm-hmm. And then once you define those, then you pursue unity. Because if yeah. because if we're talking about broad evangelicalism, well, one of the one of the downfalls, and Robert Godfrey talks about this in one of Ligonier's Renewing Your Mind sessions, one of the downfalls about broad evangelicalism is everyone is basically expected to check all of their distinctives at the door. The Lutherans can't have can't bring up their their uh, doctrine on the sacraments. Uh, because that's considered divisive. The Reformed people can't bring up election at all because that's considered divisive. Mm-hmm. And it just goes down the list. Well, eventually what you have is everybody losing their distinctives, and then ultimately nobody has a good time. <laughs> but I think that's honestly what some people want, though, because we see unity in Scripture. But when we look further in other places, because there is stuff, talk about unity. Yep. But like you said, there there seems to be an emphasis also on certain distinctives as well. And if... Um, there's also different denominations that, like you said, they emphasize different things. So while some of those things could be true and right, it just might not be as important to another group of people, depending right. on certain things. 
Um, there's right. a lot of things. There's a lot of things we'd have to weigh. Right. Mm-hmm. So next question. Uh, we haven't started with Brian Morris as is tradition. Brian Morris. So here's one from Brian Morris. He asks about cognitive tests for presidential candidates, and I appreciated how he put <laughs> candidates in quotation marks, uh, to ensure well that they are still mentally fit to serve as president. Uh, that's been in the news a lot <laughs> lately. So should we consider asking pastors to take cognitive tests regularly to ensure that they are still fit to serve as a shepherd, especially as they get older? Huh, that's very interesting. That That's an interesting thought. Um, I don't know that I could get on board with saying that every elder should have to take one, partially mm-hmm. because everyone ages differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not really a requirement in Scripture. It's study to show yourself approved, husband of one wife, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, able to teach, and... And an elder should be humble enough, and the other elders in the church mm-hmm. should be bold and confident and even loving enough to tell him if he's lost his abilities. Right. No, I completely agree with you. That's really good. That it? I mean, yeah. I mean, <laughs> as far as as far as that goes, you you basically just rehearsed what the test of um, or the standards you need to have for being an elder are. We don't really see anything in scripture about that specific question. So I think that's good reasoning. And we have the church body working together in different ways to, you know, help make it all work. And if someone all of a sudden gets diagnosed with like Alzheimer's and they're having a, they're having a hard time, you know, maybe other people in church step up and help, help them out or. Right. Yeah. Right. So let's end on this one. This is a fun one. Jonathan Diaz asks, Name a couple of apostles and what superhero you think they would be. Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> so, my first one was like act like like you're just you're you're Marvel or doesn't DC. matter. He he said there are what? no guidelines. What the heck? <laughs> uh, so my first thought is Peter has to be Wolverine. What? <laughs> because he cut a guy's ear off. Oh my goodness. <laughs> you don't have anybody. Oh, I need well I need to think about it for a second. This is once again we're going back to the details. And we can thing. just say Co- biblical characters. No, hold on, hold on. Let me think. For some reason I kept thinking Spider Man and Timothy, and I don't know why. Could you you could say that Paul could be Batman and then I guess Barnabas could be Robin. I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> I guess Judas would have to be someone like super brutal, you know. But he'd have who? to be. He'd but have who? To be you got to pick somebody. He'd have to be a great betrayer. Well, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not as. I'm not as good at the superhero game. I, I suppose as all of you guys, because all all I think of is like the most recent super superheroes. Like maybe he's maybe he's someone from. I don't know. This is not a. This is not a question I can answer. I just want to. I just w- really wish I could find someone that would be Groot. That's all I want. Yeah. So Brad Speed <laughs> commented that since James and John were the sons of thunder, one of them could be Thor. Okay. Well done. You yeah. have Mark wasn't an apostle, but he could be the Flash, since people believe he was the kid in Mark's gospel who ran away naked. Oh no! <laughs> you guys are really good at this, though. Or or maybe you're just really bad at this. I'm not good at all. I'm really not good at on the spot questions because Ferent Zinley says he can imagine Luke being Doctor Strange and maybe Paul being the Hulk. Mm. 
(laughs) That's it? Just a hmm? I I don't know. This is this is this is outside of my out of my uh, and, and you didn't get all your details and I didn't get all my details. Row. You know, I would have, I would have. This is what I would have done if I was presented the question thirty minutes ago. I would have sat down with it, would have listed all the apostles, and I would have brainstormed and I would have given details for what each one of them did, and then I would have aligned them with whatever superhero I saw fit. That was how I would how I would do, do it. Do you? <laughs> Do you? Well, wife, thanks for coming on with 20 minutes of notice. Thank you. Um, I need to make a plug, though. And by plug, I mean (laughs) um, bring back the lip ring. Thank you. No. I'm muting you for that. (laughs) Don't do it. So you can follow us and comment on Facebook and Instagram. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. Leave a five-star review. And how about share the show? That also helps a ton. It helps with the algorithms. And you can support the show at anchor.fm where you donate money to help us improve. And when you do, make sure you email me with your shipping address when ah, I'm going off off script. I don't know what I'm doing, uh, but email me with your shipping address when you do so I can hook you up with free stuff. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.